Hey everyone, welcome back to Illuminate, a podcast series from Hope Fellowship Church. If this is your first time joining us, definitely encourage you to go back and listen to the first two parts of this conversation on culture and faith with Chris Kilgore. And if you're back for more, we're so excited to share this conversation with you today. So I think a good, the next question that I would want to ask is, how can we interact with the politics and those programs while still keeping our identity on Christ? It, one, is it possible? Hmm. And then two, if it is possible, how do we healthily do that? Hmm. I do think bringing the idea of health into it is, is, for one thing, not the same way it's always framed, but I think it's the way it should be framed. When we stop talking about being right and start talking about what is healthy, we're changing the conversation in a way that says, I don't have to have the right opinion or I don't have to convince somebody of something else. My focal point is what does it look like to build something that is stronger than what we had before? Like if that's the goal. So, and then again, setting goals is, is so important in, in every aspect of life and, and not shooting from the hip. But I think it's your point earlier, Nathan, when we are so addicted to having to have something every second or something every five or 10 seconds, or I want us, I want something new, a new idea, a new revelation, a new, you know, this story has to, has to come out quicker. When we're in that pattern and process, we lose the ability to set goals because setting goals requires some self-reflection and some kind of zooming out uh, so that we can, I can see that there's more parts of this issue than just the one that I think there is. So if I can zoom out of, of a, or pull back a little bit and see it from 30,000 feet, then I see that there's four or five different groups involved here. So, so what, is my goal really to convince them all of the same thing? Or is my goal that we would walk in relationship? So what is the healthier? So that's just an example. But like, I think sometimes having that self-awareness to say, I'm not just going to lash out. Because again, the only time you lash out without thinking is when you're in a fight. This is not about being in a fight. This is about walking together with people, uh, especially if we're, if we're Christian brothers and sisters, then it's about walking together in the unity the Lord commanded. And if we're talking about walking with non-Christians, then it's about walking in the way that Jesus walked with people who didn't know God yet. So like, at some point, it is all about not fighting, but about pulling back and saying, wait a second, what is the bigger issue? What is, what is the, what's the umbrella here that we're all wanting to be under by the end of it? And so setting that up, I think, just initially as, as what, what is the discussion about health instead of what's the discussion about being right is, is crucial. But um, first and foremost, I think it is the, the realization that, that programs and politics will always let us down. They will never satisfy the longings of our heart. You know, Augustine, that famous quote that I will butcher at this point, said, you know, uh, our, our hearts are restless until we find ourselves in thee. Like that, that idea that, that my heart is not restless until I finally get the candidate voted in. My heart is not restless until I finally cross some, some giving gap with Compassion International. Like my heart is not restless until those things take place. My heart is restless until I can find my full identity in Christ and find the assurance that only comes from that. So, so I think to start with, we, we have to have a healthy expectation of what programs and politics can do instead of expecting something that they will never be able to provide. Because like even like in and so in marriage, like if I expect my wife to be everything that I've ever needed every other human to be on earth, then I'm putting unnecessary and un, unmeetable expectations on her, and that means I'm always going to be disappointed in her. So if if I expect politics and governments and and empires and presidents and kings and to fulfill me, then I am putting on them a weight that was never intended to be upon them. You know, Jesus didn't rebuke Caesar because Jesus didn't expect Caesar to be God. 
Like at some point, he, that's why, you know, when he, he, he speaks truth to power, that's part of Christianity's responsibility. But when he stands in front of Pilate, you know, he says, I am truth. When he stands in front of, he calls Herod a fox, for goodness sake. You know, he, he is not afraid of power. He's not afraid of interacting and dialoguing with them, but he is also not expecting them to be everything that his father alone can be. And so his expectations are, are in the wind with them. Lead what you want to lead. Take up the taxes you want to take. Give to Caesar what's Caesar, but give to God what's God's. Like that whole idea of, of what are we actually expecting them to do has everything to do with whether or not we will be able to be satisfied with what they can do. Don't expect them to be capable of what Jesus alone is capable of. I, I think one of the dirty secrets of the last 20 to 30 years of the church, maybe even further back, but I, I think I can confidently say the last three decades, is that we talk about prayer more than we actually pray. And, and, and that sounds so disconnected from the whole discussion, but I'm convinced that prayer is not disconnected from any discussion about Christianity. It can't be. It is actually the lifeblood and center point of Christianity. And, and so I, I think prayer anchors us in Christ when the wind and waves pick up around us. Romans 8 talks about the, the Spirit of God groaning with us, like, like in, in the pains of childbirth. Like, like when we, and, but it first says that we're groaning. It says that creation is groaning because nothing is right. And we're groaning because we feel that nothing is right. And so it says the spirit comes along and groans with us until this thing gives birth. And I think that idea of, of, of intercession and prayer and what it means to actually spend isolated time with God, which again, media comes against, directly impacts our time that we spend focused on God. Like I, I can't check Twitter and pray and I can't check Facebook and pray and I can't leave the news on in the background and pray. I mean, I can barely keep music on and pray for goodness sake. So like I, I need those uncomfortable times of silence where for the first 15 minutes, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just walking around a church or my living room or, or out in the backyard just thinking, I apparently, you know, 24 hours ago I knew how to pray. I don't know how to pray anymore. Like, I've got to figure this out again day after day after day. We, we, we've lost a lot of that. Like, maybe the, the, the most redeeming part of culture 60 years ago was that they had nothing else to do. And so church people just prayed. Like, they, they ate around tables together and they prayed. And that was what defined Christianity for us. And I'm not saying that life was better 60 years ago. It, had, it, was, it was bad in different ways. But, but I do think that, that the reason we're here and even talking about these things is because there were generations before us that seeded the ground of our lives with prayer and, 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 and prayed over people who they had not met yet. And, and I think we've lost some of that. And so when we, when we reclaim what it means to be the kind of people who spend time focused and, 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 and locked into God and, and through, through the you know, intercession of the Spirit, I, I think that creates in us the ability to be rooted and grounded in Christ and not in the things that are going on around us. So we can talk with a certain disconnected interest about politics and it's not this thing that drives us it's this thing that we talk about and not this thing that just you know controls us so i, I think those two things are, are are important reasonable expectations of what programs of politics can do and then also committing our lives as christians to prayer like it's not, those are those are disciplines that will create uh, a stability in us and and make sure our identity remains in christ yeah i think it's something um you mentioned it so quickly and um, in tangent with prayer, looking at how our lives are different now versus 60 years ago, community with one another in addition to community with God. Like there is, uh, just thinking about healthy ways to learn about the world around you and, and so you have a question of what is the right thing to do to help homeless people and what better way than to 
have community with a homeless person. Like, then to talk to a homeless person about their experience instead of relying on on one source, one distant source to be, you know, your, um, not necessarily the source of knowledge and wisdom because we know that comes from God, that comes from prayer and scripture, but just of information. What an amazing opportunity we have as a church body to be brought together by um, this perfect commonality in Christ, but have different experiences that can then shape the way we interact with the world and, and can learn from each other, but we don't take the time to engage with one another to find out those things, <laughs> to, to learn about those experiences, but but we are surrounded by wells um, of information on the world around us. We just don't take the time to engage with them. It is ironic. It... <laughs> It almost seems foolish. It almost, I mean, it feels like, like Legos to assume that the best way to deal with homelessness is to talk with somebody who's homeless, to, to, to understand, you know, what, what it looks like for somebody to be in the pains of, of addiction it might look like actually talking to an addict. Like, like at some point it, it seems like, well, isn't there a way to do that on my phone or isn't there, a, isn't, can I contribute to something and, and make sure that that gets fixed when we don't allow ourselves the opportunity for empathy we're just looking to plug holes in the boat instead of figuring out why they were there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so we, we aren't actually dealing with the problem. Uh, we're, we're just kind of trying to cover it up. And, and so, yeah, I mean, but, but again, it requires time. Time is the enemy of our age uh, because we've made it the enemy of our age because we filled our life with so much and we don't sleep well. And, and you know, if, if we do sleep well, we feel guilty because we lost something. And so then we reach for a device before we're out of bed, a lot of us, and we try and check things out and make sure that we didn't miss anything overnight. Nothing goes on overnight except on the other side of the world. And, and most of us don't care. So like, but, but we're so jam-packed with stuff that we don't have time to say, like, do I have the hour in my schedule if, if somebody really walked up to me, if I'm getting something to eat, and they said, I'd like to talk with you, do I have the hour in my schedule to say, let's stay here for a while? Mm -hmm. or, or do I have to get somewhere else? Do I have to be somewhere else? Like our, The structure of our life is so, is so that we, we have crowded out any opportunity to actually deal with the problems that we face in the world, which, again, I believe is strategically what the enemy of our souls does. I mean, it's a subtle attack, but it's very effective. Mm -hmm. It's very effective. Mm -hmm. I think it's because we're putting ourselves first rather than relationships first. I mean, you said that keeping relationships first is the first thing you said, basically, when you were talking about healthily interacting with all those, keeping relationships first. I think that's across the board then, one, keeping our relationship with Christ first to keeping our relationships with others second, but yeah, also yeah. first besides yeah. that. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's, that is so essential to just this whole conversation and, and question is that a lot of times those people, a meal would, would fix an hour of their life. A conversation could fix the eternity of their life, that's right? right? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, wow, that was cheesy Billy Graham thing to say right, right there. But, right. Uh, the, but that is just the simplicity of it. And I think we, because of how jam-packed our schedules are and because of how media and technology has shaped our brains, we just can't quite seem to grasp that it could be that simple. Like it has to be more complex than that. Yeah. Like we have to, we we have to get somehow a really really complex answer in the next five seconds. Otherwise, it's like, well, we're just going to move on because it can't be fixed. But it's like, what if every single problem could be fixed with relationships? Mm -hmm. Racism. Mm -hmm. What if you really got the time to know someone who you had prejudices against and understood that they were a human and that Christ died for them? Mm -hmm. um, 
abortion. What if you had a conversation with someone who had had an abortion and you understood that they were human with fears that were a little different than yours, but they were still just as scared and reacted out of, of fear or reacted out of what they believed was right. And when you start to have these conversations with people and you start to realize that humanity that they still have, even though they hold a different political viewpoint than you, mm-hmm. And you're focusing more on the relational side of things. It doesn't mean that you are affirming them. It means that you're loving them. <laughs> and I think that that's where, like, when you were just talking, I was just getting kind of like relaxed and exhausted because I was like, finally, like, someone is just magnifying the simplicity of it, and it's freeing to understand how simple it is. Like, I don't have to read twenty books to be able to fix homelessness. I just have to talk to to a homeless person. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to read fifty books. I don't have to be the leading. Uh, leading per- person of knowledge on on a subject to be able to contribute to fixing the problem. Yeah, yeah. I just have to be a believer. I just have to be following Christ. Mm-hmm. And if I'm doing that, then I at least know the first step, right? Yeah. And I can at least start putting a foot in front of the other. And if we had a body of believers doing that, and, I, and I'm, I'm, there are some out there, and, yeah. and I, there are people here, I hope, that do that so, so well. And everywhere, yeah. people are going to be doing it right, and some people are going to be doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. That's just humanity in and of itself. Yeah. But if we at least have um, a humble, gracious community of believers that are just loving actively those around them, what a picture that is. Well, that, that's all we're responsible for. Right. Well, I, I think it, and it doesn't have to be as complicated. Like what, what did Chesterton say? He said uh, uh, that Christianity has not been tried and found uh, inadequate. It's been found difficult and left untried. Like it, it's not that it's this hyper-complex thing. It's that it requires surrender. And, and surrender is scary, I mean, all the time really for us because it means letting go of something that, that you've intentionally held on to. And, and so that idea that what if, what if I rearrange my schedule? What if the, the, the ire and the accusations of people who are going to tell me, well, you're not accomplishing enough, you're not doing enough, you're not, you're not fixing enough. Like what if people look at me and, and they're going to, they might not say it to my face, but they're going to call me lazy when they're at home later on talking about that. I can't believe he wouldn't just go ahead and do that work. Like what, what if I just say, okay, that, that's your opinion, but, but I truly believe that I'm structuring my life in the way that Christ would have me structure it. And so I'm going to surrender your opinions of me. I'm not going to let that become an idol to me. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that my life is structured in a way so that every opportunity Christ wants me to have. I have the opportunity to take it. And, 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 I mean, and that means that I won't save the world. I, I will not save the world. Jesus did that. And, and so I, I won't, I'm not going to pray throughout the night tonight and all of Northern Africa is going to be saved tomorrow morning. All I can do is hope that the people God puts in my pathway, I reflect Christ to them, the glory of God in me is reflected to them, and they have more hope when we walk away from each other than we had when we came together. That, that's all. Like, that's all God actually asked me to do. He doesn't ask me to be everything and everything. I'm not going to save the world. If I hung on a cross, I wouldn't save the world. Jesus saves the world. Jesus' blood changes things. And, and so that's my message, and that's what I'm going to do. And so if I can, in a, in a healthy way, say, this is all I'm really responsible for. Paul said, whoa, to, to the, the Corinthians. He said, when I came to you the first time, I was not going to come to you with wisdom or intelligence. I refused to be the smartest guy in the room. Instead, I came with the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. That was the only thing that I wanted you guys to see because I didn't want you to tack your salvation onto who I was or on a a clever argument or a winsome statement. I wanted you to know that there was something bigger than me that was actually coming for you, who'd been pursuing you, who was seeking you in the valleys of your life to worship in spirit and truth. So Paul says, I didn't need to be the best all I needed to do was be what Jesus called me to be, and that was enough. And I think 
there's an empowerment in that for us. And, and so when, when, we, when, we, when we talk about how we maintain that identity in Christ and, and, and walk with people in relationships, even in a divided world, part of that starts with saying, I won't be enough for you, but I am the thing that God put in your way. Like I, 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 can't, I won't be your savior, but I can be a messenger. And that's all. That's all. And you will take the messenger you want. And that, that's really not up to me. Wearsby said that you know, I, I'm, I'm a distributor, not a manufacturer. That's all I am. And so I don't create things. I present things. Uh, the pressure release. Like to go home at 3.30 one afternoon instead of 6.30 and just believe that this is of God. To lay down and not do anything productive for a couple of hours and say, the world is still in his hands. Like, how much different do we look if we do that for a couple of weeks? How much less stress and anxiety is there? And how much more space then do we create for God to actually do what God's been wanting to do? But we've been crowding him out because we've been trying to save people the way we want to save them. To relax and rest and, and, and really to Sabbath in the fact that God is still the God of the seventh day. I can actually just settle in and say, you're enough in this moment. What you gave me yesterday is enough for this moment because I'm exhausted. And I think some of us need to say that we're exhausted out loud and stop trying to push ourselves into places where we were never meant to be. I, I just keep thinking, uh, do for one what you wish you could do for many. I think that that's the freedom of the gospel provides is that even if in my entire life, I the message that I'm showing and teaching or trying to show and trying to teach impacts one person, mm -hmm. that is exactly what God planned before I was even born for my life. Mm. And it doesn't make me less than the person who, whose message impacted a million people. It makes me just another person who recognized and understood the call from Jesus and lived it out as best as he possibly could. And I think the f gospel frees us from so many things. It liberates us from so many things. But that is one of those which is you've, you feel the most freedom at times of I don't have to be everything and do everything, even though the world's expectation of me is that if I'm not doing everything and not trying to be everything, then I'm failing in life. Yeah. Yeah. And the gospel says, no, as long as you are following me, that's enough. Uh, Paul said to the Galatian church, who cast the spell on you? Like, who, who convinced you that what Jesus did originally is something that you now have to redo? He did everything that you needed him to do. Now, there's no more work to be done to establish your position in, in, in my love, in my kingdom, at my table, in my family. All those things are already taken care of. So, so now just, just live like you would as a son or a daughter. Yeah, I feel like you can, like all of that to say, you can look at any spiritual discipline you're struggling with in your life, whether it is Sabbath or discipleship um, or prayer. And if you just look at that tension in your life and you say, this is where I want to be, this is where I'm at now, um, and just ask yourself, am I believing that God is truly in charge of this situation? If you're having trouble resting, um, is it because that you don't believe that God has everything in his hands? Or, or are you saying, you know, there are things that are in my control. I'm the one who has the power in this situation, which is false. If you're afraid of discipling, it's probably, I don't know, a lot of the conversations I've had with people who, who have some sort of trepidation about um, discipling an individual, it's because they don't think they have a good enough understanding of scripture. Um, but that at its core leads to this 
this foundational thought that you save people, God doesn't. And mm-hmm. so I feel like, you know, whoever's listening to this, like whatever spiritual discipline you're struggling with, like find the core um, of where you're taking control from God and surrender that. Like it's as simple as that. And it doesn't have to be complicated. <laughs> we don't make God the Lord of our life. God is the Lord of our life, and it's up to us to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even up to us. <laughs> sometimes God will kind of step in and be like, hey, I'm going to remind you real quick yeah. Yeah. that I'm in control, <laughs> that I am the Lord of your life. And I think that is a foundational truth that people have to understand, that I have to remind myself of so many times when finances get tight, when people start to talk poorly of me because of uh, uh, something I... I did or said that they didn't agree with when all those things it comes down to one it doesn't even come down to who is in control it comes down to who do i believe is in control mm-hmm. and at the end and, and when you realize that god is the lord of your life whether you have made him that whether you have not whether you are living in that truth whether you are not there's some freedom there is freedom <laughs> in that mm-hmm. because he's the lord of your life freedom not guilt absolutely something i had as i was thinking this through at the core of the church's identity, we are an abolitionist community. I, I think the, the idea that really what we are is an abolitionist community, not just racially, but, but in every way, because we're a community fiercely dedicated to freedom. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul said that, uh, and it's this powerful expression that, that it, it seems almost foreign sometimes in church, but he said it is for freedom that we've been set free. We assume that it's it's for evangelism or for work or to glorify God or to become worshipers or to whatever it is, to surrender. But Paul says it's for freedom that we're set free. Because only in freedom can there be all of those things in their authentic expression. And, and so you can manufacture worship and you can manufacture generosity and you can manufacture Sabbath and you can manufacture relationship. Uh, and and But when, when you're actually free, those things have the opportunity to be authentic. And so... You know, the, the church becomes um, this, 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 this sort of animal that is ferociously after. It's a predator that is ferociously after freedom, tracking it down, trailing it down. Like, that, that, that's what happens. That's the expression. Jesus set us free. Jesus did all the work to liberate us. But, but there is, I think, this journey where we find that place where we actually own it. And, and to what you were saying earlier, I think there, there is a big difference between knowing that he's lord of your life and then actually al- allowing yourself to be lorded over mm. like we we hate that terminology we hate that idea because we are no longer in control and and to a certain degree control is not even the best term for what god exhibits on earth sovereignty is yeah. and, and sovereignty doesn't step into the middle of every broken moment and fix it Sovereignty is an arc and a trajectory that says, at the end of things, when I'm done being God, it will all be like it's supposed to be. And that requires a lot of trust because that doesn't mean that I got, and, and so I got saved because my grandma had cancer and I knew I, knew I needed God in that moment. I, I, didn't, I got saved because I, I, I wanted him to hear me when I prayed and I wanted her to be healed. And then she wasn't. Like Salvation isn't there to solve the immediate problem necessarily. So that that would be control, almost uh, almost like micromanaging. So God doesn't micromanage the world. God sovereignly rules over it and says there is a trajectory. And so in that moment when you have given me your life because you wanted something, what you're supposed to find out is that 
even if she passes away and even if that doesn't go away you have come to know me in a way that is sufficient for that moment and so you're free from what was binding you up even though you didn't get what you thought you had to have so so liberation is not necessarily god pushes the button and fixes everything liberation comes from if he doesn't push the the hebrew boys right it, 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 liberation comes when you say we're not going to bow to you and if god puts the fire out then fine and if he doesn't fine but we're not bowing to you we are free we are liberated whether you want to kill us or not, because flesh doesn't determine our freedom, God does in our affiliation with him and our dedication and devotion to him. And so the church is, a, is an abolitionist society that is supposed to offer every single human being that walks into the doors of a church or into a community or into a living room or into a conversation at a coffee shop or, or on the street and say, there is freedom for you right here. Right now, there is freedom for you. It might not look like the freedom you're looking for, but there is freedom for you. I think we have to stop putting our hope and freedom conditionally in politics. Um, and I like that you said God is sovereign and that is a trajectory that is not a solution to every moment. Um, and that doesn't always look like the way that we want it to, but our, our desire should be to have his heart and not try to conform him to our desires. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And, what I let off with in Colossians 1 is what he says. We have been delivered out of the domain of darkness into his into the kingdom of his glorious light. Paul is talking in present tense. There's a realized eschatology there. Those are theological terms. I realize that. But but what he's saying is, is that even though in body you are not yet there, the reality of your life is already there. And so you live in the reality before you see the results. And, and like that, that changes the way we're supposed to be. That's why we have that's why we have joy. That's why Paul and Silas sing in the Philippian jail in the middle of the night when they're in the stocks. Like, because the reality of their life is different than 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 what is going on in the moment of their experience. And so like it, it is. It's it's the sovereignty of God means that if he slays me. I will still worship him like that, that whole idea. I mean, the, so there's a transcendent nature to, to, to freedom that has to be present. That's something that, um, for me, has kind of liberated my uh, affiliation to any political party and my care for who's in charge. Like, I genuinely don't care for, who's in, for who, who is in charge. Sure. Anyone could be in, char- in charge, be, and I have an understanding that... Whoever is in charge is because God has placed them there. And in is either First Timothy or First Peter. Honestly, I get all those mixed up all the time. And it says, I love the brotherhood, respect the king. Mm-hmm. And when he says respect the king, it, whoever is the king, whether it's a Nero or whether it's a David, like whoever is king, we are called to respect to the extent of give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what is God. And I think at that point, it's I don't care who's in charge because there's this trajectory. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, not, not taking Christianity, I think, you know, if we look at, in the past of people who were said that if this person got elected, the country was going to fall apart. We see that really it's small increments of change that happens. And then usually it ba- it's a constant balancing. It's, it self corrects over. And that's just, you know how the forefathers, I guess, set it up because they knew that there were going to be these extremes that got mm-hmm. elected that then would need another extreme to then balance it out type type deal. But at the, at the same sense, I, I, I want to take it back real quick to this idea of uh, if this person is elected, um, we're going downhill. Or if this person is elected, people have said to me when I say I don't care who's in charge, they say, well, what about their policies on abortion? What about their policies on homosexuality? What about their policies on immigration? All of these things, I, I go back to the earlier church. Hindsight, we have that the catalyst for change, We yes, the Holy Spirit, yes, absolutely. 
But the catalyst for the gospel to reach others was persecution, was an attack against the Christian belief, Mm -hmm. was an attack for every single thing that the Christian church stood for. So when all of these things, if, if all these policies start to happen and it becomes this attack on the Christian church, I mean, look at how, um, I look at China. I heard a really good story about uh, uh, China and the, and the Christian church there that's taking place and how authentic and how real it is and how much they're just grasping on the truth that is is Jesus. Um, and I want to read just this one really quick thing. It's from Karl Barth. He's writing it in 1928 about the Nazi regime that was rising to power. And he goes, uh, re- repudiate, which I believe that's how I'm saying it correctly, but I'll just say we reject the false teaching that the church can and should expand beyond its special responsibility to take on the characteristics, functions, and dignities of the state and thereby becoming itself an organ of the state. Mm. Like, he was speaking to a Nazi regime, so I don't want to compare whatever we have to a Nazi regime, but I want to say the fact that it is a separation. It's this, our church has a special responsibility. The church has a special responsibility that is outside of any governance uh, over our lives, that we understand that the Lord Jesus is Lord over our lives and everything in it. And it gives us that freedom that whatever happens, no matter no matter what happens with abortion, no matter what happens with, with any of these things, no matter how you feel on them, that God is still in control. God is in control over the Democratic Party. God is in control over the Republican Party. God is in control over the Communist Party. God is in control over the Socialist States. God is in control over every single aspect of this world, and He is sovereignly guiding it to the end. We're going to take a break in our conversation here for today, but... We have more coming next week. We hope you will continue through this journey, through these tough topics with us and encourage you to carry on this conversation with your friends, with your families, with people you're discipling, with people who are discipling you. Uh, Ask tough questions and seek out truth. We appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. If you have other topics or conversations you want to hear, you can send us your suggestions to Hannah at Hope and Anderson or to Nathan at Hope and Anderson. Even if you wanted to hear the entirety of this conversation, put out a nice long podcast for you guys. We'd be more than happy to do that. Just let us know and we'll catch you guys next time.